um, it's good to be here today. I hope, hope you guys are glad to be here. Every once in a while, does God ever just break in and you just realize how blessed you really are? Uh, you know, as, as Amy is singing that, you know, I just, you know, all these gifts that God gives us, the gift of family and friends and church and, and, and you know, this country, all, all the freedoms we have. Uh, every, every once in a while, I'll find myself just driving down a road and listening to a song and it'll just hit me how blessed we are. Um, I hope we understand that. I, I'm not sure that, I, I think sometimes we're, we're just so comfortable and, and everything that we have, we stop to forget everything that we have. Uh, you are blessed people. God has blessed you in every form and in every way. Not that life is, not, is perfect and not that we don't have issues and problems and, and sickness. But regardless of where you find yourself this morning, you have been blessed by your Heavenly Father. And when we gather in this place on Sunday mornings, this is an opportunity to express thanksgiving to God. This is almost, every Sunday morning, it's almost Christmas Sunday morning. <laughs> you, know, you, you, know, you know, you open those presents and you're, you're all excited. And, and maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll just put Christmas gifts on the, in the front of the church and just fill the church with, the, with Christmas gifts to remind us every time we come in here. We have an opportunity to be thankful to God. When we sing, when we lift our hands, that, that's just a way that we're saying, Yippee, God! <laughs> Can you say that with me? Let's, let's say, Yippee, God. That'll be good, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. Yippee, God! And maybe amen, something that doesn't fit into your jargon, or praise the Lord, but maybe you can just say, no, that would be awesome. Why don't you use that one Sunday morning? If you have a visitor sitting next to you, I want you just to go, yippee, and just see how they react to that. We have a God who is worth yippee. Yeah, and as we gather on Sunday mornings, I hope as we walk in those back doors, that we're not waiting for the emotion to hit us or a song to hit us just right, but we are here to say, yippee God, thank you for all that you've done in my life. Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's word, James 1, 12 through 18. Continuing our radical faith, look at the book of James. Blessed is a man, we're a woman, who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Lord, bless your word to our hearts today. Help us, Lord, help me uh, not to get in the way into what your spirit would have us here uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give you the lead sentence 
the takeaway at the beginning here. God's will for your life is wholeness. Don't make any mistake about it. Before we go any further in this message, I want you to understand that, that your heavenly Father has a desire for your life, a goal for your life, and God's goal for your life, God's will for your life, is that you would be whole. Uh, the scripture we use calls God the Father of lights. And, 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 and think about this. Think about if you have kids or grandkids. Think about the will that you have for your grandkids or your kids or those you love. More, more than anything else, don't you want to see them live in this state of wholeness? As a matter of fact, for our kids, we'd almost do anything. We, we, we took Dylan down to um, Treveca uh, for orientation this weekend. And in the midst of the orientation, they're trying to tell us the value of the education and what they're trying to accomplish. And then the, one of the guys said, and by the way, it's, it's to, to send this kid to this school, you are buying, in essence, two Hummers. I told Terry, I said, I think I'd like to have a Hummer and we'll let Dylan stay home. But the truth is, we'll pay the cost. We'll pay whatever we can. We'll do what we can. Because my goal for Dylan is that he live in the state of wholeness. That he be all that God wants him to be. God's will for your life is wholeness. Now, now wholeness is not just having the right amount of money. <laughs> Some of you are already disappointed. Wholeness is not uh, based on your bank account. It's not just being in peak physical condition. It's, it's not having the perfect family. Wholeness is not dependent on the circumstances of life, but wholeness is more related to our character, our attitude, our bearing, the way we live, the way we move through life regardless of our circumstances. We could be whole regardless of our circumstances. We cannot control our circumstances, amen? But we can control our ability to live in wholeness and purity and holiness regardless of our circumstances, whether they're bad, good, or neutral. It's all over this passage we read. Verse 12 says, blessed is the man. And, and blessed is a, a word that says, possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by the fullness from God. And in other words, there's this blessed blessedness that we can live in. Verse 17 says, every good thing, every perfect gift. And once again, we're to this word perfect that we talked about last week. And uh, it, it's complete. It's whole. Verse 18 says that, that we're called to be the first fruits. In other words, as the people of God, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, God is calling us to a new way of life, a first fruits, a first harvest based on God's full blessing where His Holy Spirit indwells us and animates our life and changes every relationship we have. We're called to be this first fruit of God. I like the ideal and the image of the Sabbath, and we don't talk about Sabbath a lot, but, but this ideal of the Hebrews writer will talk about the ideal of Sabbath rest, enter into the Sabbath rest, and, and you have this, in, in creation accounts, you have these six days, and then there's this seventh day where creation is complete, whole, full, good, and God rests in that. And so in a lot of ways, I, I believe this 
the, the writer is inviting us, uh, James is inviting us to this, this life of Sabbath rest where, where regardless of the circumstances of life, we're just resting in this wholeness. We're, 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 we're sitting in the easy chair of God. That's probably a bad analogy. You know, cultures have words that have deep meaning and significance. Uh, in our culture, the word with the most significance is Buckeye, right? Um, in, in Hawaii, Terry and I got to go with, to Hawaii with my in-laws, and their word is aloha, okay? So, you know, everybody says aloha. You get sick of hearing aloha. Uh, when I was in Africa, the word was, believe it or not, hakuna matata, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, my, you know, that it mean, and it means no worries. <laughs> you know, anytime you say, hey, I'm running a little bit slow, I'm sorry I'm slowing you down, the guy would go, ah, hakuna matata. <laughs> you know, Thank you, Simba. Um, in the Jewish language, in the Hebrew tradition, the word is shalom. It's this great word of blessing. And, and, and you know, roughly translated, it's peace. You know, and, and I believe when Jesus says to the disciples, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, I believe Jesus says, my shalom, I give you my shalom, I leave with you. Shalom's a good word because it encompasses, it's not just an absence of conflict, but it's, you know, well-being and completeness and prosperity and health and safety and harmony with God and others, it's wholeness. God's will for your life is wholeness, peace, shalom, Sabbath rest, holiness, fullness, however you want to look at it. But we don't always live in that wholeness. Amen? Even believers sometimes, if we were honest, we would acknowledge that there's times that that life's not as whole, and, and we know there's something missing. There's more that God has in mind for us. And James says we can have this hope of wholeness and completeness and fullness even in the midst of trials, even when circumstances are bad. We can have this peace, this rejoicing, this thankful trust in God regardless of what's going on. And we looked at this last week, and we, we used the phrase intentional theological consideration. And, you know, considering our circumstances, considering our attitudes, considering where God is taking us. But this week, we're going to use that same jargon, that intentional theological consideration in relation to our desires or passions. And so, in your bulletin, there, there's a little, a little place where you can do some, some just personal, we're going to take like, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, it, sa- it asks you, what are your passions? What, what are you passionate about? T- take some time, say, take some time and, and, and just think about that. I'm going to wait 30 seconds. You can be writing while I'm preaching. Just keep it in your mind, too. What are you passionate about? keep writing as we go through the service as you think about the things you're passionate about. Uh, 
I'll demonstrate one right now. OH? <laughs> you passionate? I have this picture of Harold and Gene at the last Ohio State game. Can you go ahead and show that? Uh, there's Harold Green and, and Gene McBride at the last Ohio State game. And uh, you can go out that way. You know, we're, we're passionate about things like that. We're, and I have a list. You know, here's kind of my passions. You know, I'm, I'm passionate about God. and I'm passionate about His Word. I, I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about my church. And, and I'm sorry I'm a huger. I am passionate about basketball. I love it. Uh, you know, just, I just, believe it or not, almost once a day when I'm here, I will go over to the gym and shoot, you know, 20, 25 shots. And I'll hit, believe it or not, I'll hit at least three of them. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm passionate about that. I've got running as a question mark. I'm trying to develop a passion about that because I think it will lead to better health. So, so there's a kind of my passions and and, and, and so, just so you know that I'm thinking about these things as well as I go through these sermons. In the Bride series, we use this key phrase, what we value determines our actions. I'm going to write it, say it like this in this series. Our passions influence the way we live. Uh, those things that are on that list that you wrote on, uh, they influence the way you spend your time, you spend your emotions, you spend your money. And, and let me just, let's just take another moment here. I, I want you to look at your, your list, and, 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 and I'm not judging. You know, I, I, this is just intentional theological consideration. This, this is the kind, of thing, the kind of thing Christians do. We evaluate our life, right? Somebody say amen, okay? No, we don't. We evaluate our life. And so just take a moment and evaluate the things that, that you've wrote on the list or the things in your mind. And does, does that passion, does that desire lead you closer to God? Does it lead you further from God or is it, or is it neutral? T- take just a moment. Just to, you know, we're going to wait like 15 seconds as you kind of look at your list. Be honest. So we're created to be loving beings. Desire and love, emotion, we are created, we're created in the image of God and God loves, right? And so we love, we, we extend ourselves, we have feelings and desires, you know, the, the desires in life are not necessarily evil, it's just how we're created. And these desires, and they influence our behavior. So, so I think it's important that we stop and we really consider, we accurately and honestly consider what we are passionate about, what we desire, what we want. Now James Smith in his book Desiring the Kingdom says, our ultimate love is oriented, oriented by and to a picture of what we think looks like for us to live well. And that picture then governs, shapes, and motivates our desire, decisions and actions. In other words, and I'm going to use this phrase, even though I know a beer company uses it, but I think it's a good phrase. We are motivated by our ideal of the good life. Right? All of us are. When we have this ideal of what the good life, the best life, what it means to live well, and we, our actions, the way we live, are motivated by a desire to inhabit that space of what we call the good life. And so if, if, um, 
Terry thought, or you know, when we were first married, one of the things that Terry wanted was kids because she thought they would make life better. Um, ask her if they did or not, I don't know. Uh, she married me because she thought life would be better if she was married. You can ask her that too, don't tell me what she says. You know, there's these things that we think, well, if I'm married, if I, if I have kids, if I'm part of a church, if I have this job, if I have this education, if I'm able to do this, if I have this, if I go on this vacation, and these are the things that in our mind make up what the good life is, and it motivates or it should motivate our behavior. But the truth is that sometimes habits, relationships, Sometimes things interfere with our vision of the good life. And what I found in my life is sometimes the passion that is on my list at any particular moment may not be leading me to the good life that I have imagined in the past. So let's look at our list just again, just for a second. And think about what you believe is the good life. How do the items that you've listed as a passion, as a desire, how do they relate to the overall ideal of what you believe is the good life? Do, do these things lead to that life that you've imagined? Just take a couple seconds and look at them. And Where am I spending my time? Is in spending my time in this area, is it leading to the life that I imagine? Or that I desire? Where am I spending my money? Where am I spending my emotional energy? Is this leading me to my ultimate view of the good life, the, the life worth living? So I think it's important in services like this as we talk about these things. Before we go any further, sometimes when we when we carefully consider and, and where you spend your money, where you spend your time, where you spend your emotional resources, those are truly the things you're passionate about. Are those things truly leading you to the life that you imagine? <laughs> the life that you, you know, I, I believe in a church, the life that God is calling you to. But before we even get to that, and we'll get further into that later in the sermon, is it even leading you where you want to go? Every person has desires and these desires and these passions have an effect on the way we live they move us towards something so my question is are are, are my passions or your passions are our passions leading us to a better life you know we can have a passion for something that that can lead to something better, but not necessarily a, a better life. Um, Howard Schultz is, is not the, the founder of Starbucks, but he's the one that took Starbucks to the point that it is now, that you see it as a global phenomenon. With you know, All you have to see is the symbol and say, oh, good coffee, or, or bad coffee, whatever your perspective is. Uh, but he has a book called, his first book was called Pour Your Life Into It. Anybody ever read? Howard, it's worth reading. I mean, it is worth reading. This guy is crazy passionate about coffee. 
I mean, he talks about coffee. It's, oh, the aroma, it's like a new continent. And, you know, I've discovered... He's passionate about coffee. And it translated to a very successful coffee chain, a very successful coffee franchise. I, I like Starbucks coffee, but I don't know that it changes my life. Probably I'd be just as happy with instant coffee. I, I don't have that, that kind of a taste bud for, for, you know, as long as it wakes me up, it is good coffee. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't think coffee leads to the wholeness that only God offers, or does it? Somebody, does somebody believe that coffee leads to the wholeness that, yeah, some of you do? So, so we could be, we could have a desire, a passion for something that, that doesn't necessarily have a, a positive impact on the kingdom or a negative. It could be just simply neutral. Verse 14 and 15, in my translation though, uses the word lust. And, and, and the word is desire here. And, and what James is talking about is, if we were honest, some of our desires lead us away from God and not towards God. That, that it's not just a passion, but, but it's, it's something that's leading us to, to, to a place and a world we don't want to be. He, he recognizes, James recognizes that in the midst of trials, God calls us to this closer walk towards His wholeness, and, and we remove, when we move away from God, this is a reflection that our desires are wrong. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? What did Flip Wilson say? The devil made me do it. Uh, was that Geraldine that said the devil made me do it? Yeah. You younger generation that never knew Flip Wilson. I am so sorry. He was funny. Probably don't even know who Carol Burnett is either, do you? Red Skelton? Okay, well, we'll stop. Can, can, can we get to the, to the brunt of this? James is saying it's not God's fault, it's not the devil's fault. When we fell, when we sin, when we stray, it's in here. Our desires are out of whack. We, we live in a world that nobody takes responsibility for anything anymore, right? <laughs> you know, my, my boys, one of the things I hammer into them, you know, it, it's always... And they hear this often from, from their dad. I, you know, you can mess up, it's okay. But just tell me, you messed up. No, it's not the teacher's fault, it's not the dog. We don't even have a dog. I don't know why you're blaming the dog for eating your homework. <laughs> Own it. James is saying, when we sin, we own it. That, that we examine our own desires, our own passions, and, and we move away from God, this is a reflection that our desires and our passions are out of whack. And, and it's an opportunity. You, have you ever thought of this? Confession and recognition of sin is an opportunity to move towards God. You know, when God reveals that, He's not hammering us. He's saying, listen, you're your desires are wrong here. I want you to be here. Wrong passions 
lead us down wrong paths. Anybody ever been down a wrong path? I've been down a wrong path, metaphorically, literally, in every way I've been down a wrong path. I want you to know that when I, when I preach these messages, I've lived this and sometimes I still live it. <laughs> Where my attitudes are out of whack and I realize that there's something wrong with my desires and I need to put them under the blood. Wrong passions lead us down wrong paths. And James is inviting us to something better than wrong paths. You know, we've called this series Radical Faith, and, and I would say it like this, Radical Faith is passionate about God. Matter of fact, as you begin, I believe the tone of this book is set in the first verse. I believe the tone of this book is set in the first five words. James, a slave. I belong to God. Passionate faith is this faith that, that is just, you know, it's, it's not about me, it's not about my will, it's not about what I want, it's not about my comfort, but it's about God. Now, now we can see this as this great obligation, and it is, but it's also this royal calling. You are called to be a slave to the king. You know, it's not only James that says this. Paul says the same thing. Paul says things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, my whole life is oriented towards God and following God and pleasing God. My passion is driving me to God. Now, these are super saints, but I don't think so. You know, Paul says things like, imitate me. Have the same attitude as me. Paul writes, have the same mind and attitude as Jesus Christ. Not because God just wants to put our will under his thumb, but God is calling us to something bigger and better. God is calling us to wholeness, and this wholeness is found in being a slave to God. See, a passion... For God leads to wholeness. As a matter of fact, this is the only way, the only path to wholeness is this passion for God. See, God's not calling you, and if this is what you're seeking, I don't think you'll find this in the Bible. God's not calling you to a balanced life. He's not calling you to a... a a religion that's part of your life. You know, it'd just be good for the kids to have a little dose of religion. Good for me, good for my wife. God's calling us to a life where we passionately, relentlessly desire Him. You know, the people of Israel, you would see ever so often, they would, um, they'd be off worshiping other gods, other idols. And, you know, God would, would send judgment on them. You know what? When they were doing that, they were still worshiping God. <laughs> you know, there's always temple worship and some ideal of worshiping God, but they would include it. It's a picture of our world. It's a picture of the church. You know, God is worshiped, but there's all these other things that we think, well, maybe it's that too. Maybe, maybe it's God and 
See, God's not calling you to a balanced life. He's calling you to, to a passionate desire for him. We go back where we started. God's will for your life is wholeness. That's what he wants. He wants wholeness, completeness, fullness. Are you whole? Honestly, are you whole? Do you feel whole? Are your passions leading to wholeness, to fullness? If God is the ultimate target, are your passions driving you to God? Now, our passions, our desires, they run a broad spectrum. In the Bible, they use the phrase, the carnal nature, and they, they use the, you know, people are fleshly. And, and Paul writes letters to believers using that language. You're still carnal. You're still fleshly. And Paul talks to them about, about this ideal of, of being driven by the carnal nature or the fleshly nature and how that drives them and the, and the passions of that. In his book, Coffee Shop Theology, Frank Moore uses instead of the phrase carnal nature or freshly, self-centeredness. And I kind of like that language. You know, Paul, I think that resonates. And maybe even here this morning, some of you, if Paul were to talk to you, the Apostle Paul, not me, would say you're self-centered. You know, all that you do is motivated by pleasing yourself. And can I tell you, when you're self-centered and not God-centered, your passions drive you away from God. And there's this constant battle in your spirituality. It's revival comes and you go to the altar and there's like a week where you're like on fire. And then vacation comes and you're like just out on the sea. See, God's calling us to have our passions in line with him. And he's calling us to let go of our self-centeredness, which honestly is the cause of many of our wrong passions and desires. You know, it doesn't eliminate if, if, you know, we we believe God can cleanse our self-centeredness, right? Do we still believe that in our... Doesn't mean we won't grow. It doesn't mean we won't fail. But, But I can tell you, folks... From personal experience, there is a marked difference in my life when when I settled that self-centeredness debate in my life. I've had times where I've messed up, and and I've had times where I had to confess, and I've learned that after I sanctified, gave myself to God, I've learned that I have to do that daily, but it's made a big difference. In Romans, Paul writes, Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Paul's writing to Christians here, by the way. (laughs) But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of the righteousness to God. Paul's inviting us to this daily growing 
commitment to God. But, but there's a beginning point. There, there's a point. John Wesley said we, we may be dying our whole life, but there comes a point where we die. And some of you may have been growing and, and dying in part. And, and to be honest, God may be just calling you this morning just to say, enough. I'm sick of this spiritual battle in my life. And Lord, I want you to have me all. Not you all, me all, okay? I've been in the South. Are you dead to sin? Have you fully submitted your will to God, your desires, your passions? Is it possible you're trying to live this life, but if you were honest, your passions are completely out of whack? And the reason they're out of whack is because you're still fighting this battle with your self-centered self, your self-centered ego, and you've just got to give it all to God. Maybe it's not that you haven't sold out, but, but can we just admit that we live in a polluted world? Amen? And sometimes it's neutral things that kind of take our passion. And if we were honest, we would say, you know, I'm not near as passionate about God as I was a year ago, six months ago. Like this, has your passion for God grown in this past year? Maybe, maybe in the past year there's been a detour. Maybe if you were honest, you would realize that, or you you would admit that, you know, honestly, you know, I, I don't have a desire for the Word. I don't have a desire for prayer. I don't have a desire for church. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. God's will for your life is wholeness and wholeness is found in this passionless passionate relentless pursuit of him Amy are you in here can you come up and just play real quietly stand with me if you will we're just going to take a few moments um, and we'll leave some space for prayer and uh, you know altars are just great places to meet with God and I'm going to wait just for a moment I'm going to pray with us, and then I'm going to wait for a moment and give us some space to pray. Uh, I'll let you sit down here in a second, but I'm letting you stand just in case to make it easier to come. Uh, maybe you're at what I was talking about earlier. You, you just need to give that self-centered part to God. Maybe it's just the pollution of life. And maybe it's just, you just want to say thank you, God, for being so good. This time serves in this area serves and this space serves all those purposes so I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to invite you to come and then I'll have you sit in just a second and we'll spend some time in prayer Lord help us to be obedient to you uh, may we not hold anything back Lord as you lead us as you call us may we respond be seated as prayer.
Our Heavenly Father, um, we confess that there's been times in our lives, maybe this past week, that we've let other things get between us and you. We've had passions and desires, and, and Lord, some of them may be neutral. It's not a desire for sin, but Lord, it's something that's replaced you on the throne of our life. James invites us to something radical and something difficult, to be a slave to God. Lord, as free people, we don't want to be a slave to anyone or anything. And oftentimes this um, works as a struggle in our life to submit our self-centered self, even to submit our neutral desires to you. But the truth of it is that God wants it all. He doesn't want part of our life. He doesn't want our church Sunday morning going part of life. He doesn't want 10% of our income. He, he doesn't want us just to, to serve in a Sunday school class. But Lord, he wants us to serve him wherever we find ourselves. Lord, I believe in that service and, and that attitude of being a slave to God. But we don't find oppression and hurt and disappointment. But Lord, we find life, wholeness, meaning, holiness, love, shalom, rest. So Lord, to people who are that have enough, put on them already. I pray, Lord, that this pastor's message will not be just simply another obligation. Lord, may I not be like a Pharisee and somehow just add weight to people's backs. But Lord, may we see the wonder and the glory and the peace that comes by being fully submitted to you, being living sacrifices that you can use. Lord, as I consider those who are praying in their pews and those who are praying at these altars, Lord, I, I realize that tomorrow we'll get up. We'll have another choice to make. Will we choose you or will we choose our own way? That's the problem with the living sacrifice. Help us now, Lord, in this moment to find the tools, to find the people, to find the will to get up tomorrow with the same motivation, to give you every fiber of our being, to live as slaves to God. And in that relationship, Lord, may we see wholeness and fullness. Now, Lord, I love you. I praise you. I thank you for your work in my life. I thank you for this church and, 
And Lord, I believe I speak for each individual in this sanctuary today as we give you thanks for your goodness. Every good and perfect, complete, whole thing. Every relationship that we have, our jobs, our houses, our cars, every good thing we have comes from our Father's hands. And so, Lord, we will honor you with our lives. We will follow you passionately. And, Lord, we will try to live lives that bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray.